taxpayer investor members have responded to this EU taxonomy, um, urging it not to allow intensive farming to be included among these sustainable, you know, these labelled as sustainable activities. Because, you know, intensively livestock also has negative impacts on biodiversity, water use, antimicrobial resistance and soil health. So this is, yeah, we're definitely going to see this as a potential opportunity for the UK to be more ambitious in its own taxonomy. The global food system is facing unparalleled challenges and changes. So how can we reset for a better, more sustainable future? Introducing Control-Alt-Meat the weekly podcast that explores the issues transforming the global food business. I'm your host, Katie Briefel. Come join me as I speak to the innovators and investors, policymakers and product developers, the scientists and the chefs, who are all on the front line reshaping the future of our food. In 2016, the EU was responsible for 60% of the demand for UK food, feed and drink exports. As the UK was a member of the EU for 47 years, the UK's food supply is now enmeshed with that of the EU, with the UK currently producing only about half of its own food. It receives 30% from EU member states and a further 11% via trade deals negotiated as an EU member. So home production has steadily dropped since the mid-1980s. Today, I'm joined by policy expert Stephanie Hashchin, who specialises in sustainable food and farming, to discuss Brexit and the food system. Stephanie, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's really great to be here. So for listeners, could you explain the impact that Brexit has had on the workforce in the food system so far? Yeah, absolutely. So what we've seen is that in the past, uh, 98% of kind of seasonal migrant labour in the UK food system came from the EU. um, And EU nationals made up 33% or a third of all people employed in the food sector. It's a huge amount. And kind of since the EU expanded in 2004, the UK actually recruited a large number of workers from Central and Eastern European countries. But when the post-Brexit negotiations or agri-food discussions kind of were going on, we did see that migrant workers' voices were not necessarily a a focus point within these discussions. And there have been estimates that around kind of 200,000 European nationals have left the UK since Brexit. Uh, Of course, this is also impacted by COVID. For example, the British Poultry Council mentioned that the meat industry is particularly hard hit with um, an average of a 16% vacancy rate across the workforce. that was this year in August. Yeah, it feels like an area that seems to have been a bit overlooked. And there's been a lot of concern felt by the public around changes to food regulation. What implications can we expect to see on food safety as a result of Brexit? The UK and the EU have always had uh, really strong food regulation policies and food regulation in the UK um, so this kind of includes, you know, production, safety, labelling. This has all come from the EU for the past 40 years. So the European Food Safety Authority used to be responsible for 
all the food safety checks at borders from imports that came from outside the EU. And this is kind of particularly the case for food safety checks and authenticity checks. But of course, the UK will now be responsible for its own import checks. So the UK has its own food standards agency, the FSA. And this we're going to see it needs to be enlarged for it to be able to cope with these additional responsibilities. There's also been suggestions that it might take between five and 10 years for the UK to build the necessary infrastructure to deal with these checks that the EU used to be responsible. We're also kind of seeing that the impact of Brexit means that the UK is also looking to form free trade agreements with other partners. Um, and one in particular, uh, you know, the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership. So this is the CPTPP. So earlier this month, actually, the House of Lords voiced its concern over this possible partnership because food safety standards and requirements being quite different between these, these members and the UK, especially on issues where the UK has really strict policies or quite strong policies like antibiotics and pesticide use. Yeah, it's quite worrying that this is going to sort of go back in time, reversing practices that we've worked hard to avoid. Yeah. And what about our ability to measure sustainability in the food system? Um, So this has been the topic of a lot of attention recently because the EU is actually currently working on its taxonomy and it's, it's in its kind of final stages of being drafted. So this kind of a common framework and what it will do is help asset managements inside the block or inside the EU identify what projects can be labeled as green projects and what you know green and sustainable projects. And this can help make uh, these kind of activities more visible and attractive to investors. But of course, as the EU is developing its own taxonomy, the UK will no longer fall under the requirements of this taxonomy and it will be delivering its own taxonomy. So this is actually a huge opportunity for the UK to be more ambitious than the EU, where currently, quite controversially, intensive farming, gas and nuclear energy might be included as activities that are labelled as green or sustainable. What we've done at FAIR actually is, so FAIR members, uh, FAIR investor members, have responded to this EU taxonomy, um, urging it not to allow intensive farming to be included among these sustainable, you know, these labelled as sustainable activities. Because, you know, intensively livestock also has negative impacts on biodiversity, water use, antimicrobial resistance and soil health. So this is, yeah, we're definitely going to see this as a potential opportunity for the UK to be more ambitious in its own taxonomy. Yeah, that's definitely an upside here. We can kind of start from a a blank page and try and rewrite some of these for better. Um, And what changes can we expect to see around agricultural subsidies? Yeah, uh, so... Agricultural subsidies uh, total about $540 billion globally, um, and about 90% of these, according to the UN, that are given to farmers every year are harmful to the environment. So um, just kind of as a a bit of context, the EU has uh, its agricultural subsidy program, which is called the Common Agricultural Policy, so the, the CAP. And in 2018, UK farmers received around £3.5 billion per cap payments. So this EU agricultural subsidy program falls under kind of two pillars. So we have the direct payments and we have rural development payments. But the cap is going directly to farmers based on how much land they farm. Of course, they're required to meet some greening requirements, but essentially it's based on how much land a farmer farms. So when the UK was a member of the EU, the four governments were responsible for kind of administering these subsidies according to the EU rules. But now that the UK has left the EU, they have the 
possibility to kind of develop their own schemes. And what we've seen is that the UK is already working on um, its own agricultural policy to replace CAP. And this is being headed to DEFRA, the Department of Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, um, and their principle for public money for public goods. So instead of it being on kind of on a per hectare basis of agricultural subsidies, we're seeing that farmers and other land managers might be paid for delivering environmental benefits. So this is going to be kind of delivered through the environmental land management scheme called the ELMS. It's very pivotal to the plan. It's going to have a number of pilots starting in 2022. So we're going to really see uh, the potential of this new scheme to bring benefits to the farmers, to the local communities. And they'll be paid for doing things like restoring peatlands, uh, promoting wildlife diversity. And we know the UK government is quite committed to making these changes because during COP26, they also announced that they are repurposing public policies and support to food and agriculture uh, when they signed uh, the policy action agenda for transition to sustainable food and agriculture. So this is supporting a just rural transition as through agricultural subsidy reform, which is um, a huge area of opportunity for the UK since leaving the EU. Absolutely. And we all know there are major problems with food supply chains at the moment as a result of COVID. Um, but what changes are you predicting as Brexit sort of compounds this issue? Yeah, um, we've definitely been hit quite hard over the last year or two with our food supply chains. So even though the Brexit deal did kind of ensure this tariff-free trade between Britain and the EU, the impacts of Brexit on our food supply chains has really hit producers and consumers hard. So what we saw in March 2021, so earlier this year, was that goods exports from Britain to the EU plunged by 41% and imports from the EU also plunged by 29%. This is, you know, there's a lot of reasons for this this change, but the red tape that's now with trade um, and essentially hitting the UK and the EU quite hard in terms of trade, um, with the meat industry being particularly hard hit, speculated at the moment to cause a 20 to 50% loss in trade. We're also seeing that factors that are both caused by Brexit, but also, of course, the pandemic has had a huge impact on the food supply chain. Um, We've seen a kind of lack of heavy goods vehicles drivers being blamed for a lot of the shortages. So we saw businesses like the co-op announcing that they're going to be retraining staff as drivers because of the shortfall. And we did, I think we all experienced here in Britain, the empty shelves in lots of stores because of this extra post-Brexit red tape, making agricultural exports and imports to the European Union more difficult. So it would definitely be interesting to see uh, further developments in this area and understand how these supply chain issues can be addressed. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for sharing that. I think it's a really insightful um, spotlight, basically, on these issues. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Control Alt Meat. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to share your favorite episodes on social media to help us reach more listeners like you. You can also visit controlaltmeat.com to learn more.